Welcome to Cornerstone. My name is Hojin, and I'm one of the pastors here. Before I share from God's Word, I, I want to show you a video that I um, came across this past week that just really struck me. It just captivated me. My favorite part of the video is the catcher. He's like putting the ball on. He's like, let's get on with it, right? Um, this kid, this is his walk-up song. He hasn't hit a home run. He is dancing ahead of time. He's celebrating just being on the field. You could tell T-ball is probably the favorite, his favorite thing, um, or maybe that song, even though it's a little R-rated for him, uh, is his favorite thing. He's in celebration mode before he goes up to bat. And that is such a rare thing to see, isn't it? Uh, a lot of times we only want to celebrate when something is certain. We only wait until we get results back to, to even express joy and, and happiness. And there's something so refreshing about watching that child celebrate for good reasons. And if we have been fortunate enough to celebrate like that, we know how much freedom there is. We know how much... It's, it's, it's this joy that wells up from within us. It's not just because of circumstances. It's something that just touches us in, in a special way. And we don't know how to express ourselves, but in whatever way is most liberating. And, and yeah, just joy giving, not just for the person, but for the people around, right? Like I could watch that video many, many times. Um, we are in, a fourth, in the fourth week of our sermon series called Come and See. The pastors have wanted to look at how God's people celebrate in, in the Bible, uh, especially post-Easter. A lot of times when we celebrate Easter Sunday, this excitement kind of dwindles down, right? Like Easter feels like a long time ago, but it's only been four, uh, five Sundays ago. And this phrase, this invitation, come and see, is from Psalm 66, which I believe we've been highlighting every Sunday, which reads, come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. Come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. And each week we have been considering how God's word invites us to come and see, but also God's word tells us to invite others who don't know him yet to come and see. Uh, this morning, we want to look at a different aspect of celebration than we've seen thus far. Uh, we have looked at the celebration of the disciples who unknowingly encounter the resurrected Jesus on the road to Emmaus. We looked at the celebration of the Israelites in, in the Exodus, uh, celebrating after crossing the Red Sea. We've looked at the celebration of the lone leper who is healed by Jesus, uh, even though 10 were healed. And last week, we looked at the celebration of King David as the Ark of the Lord returns to Jerusalem. 
And all of these celebrations so far have been this response to witnessing and experiencing a direct encounter with God. And it's post something that God does. Today we want to look at a celebration that happens before something God does. It occurs in advance of God's work. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And we'll read from verses 1 through 6. And uh, if you don't have it, have your Bible, you can read along the screen with us. So let's read God's word together. After this, I, this is the Apostle John, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her, the prostitute, goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Verse 6, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray briefly before we continue. God, we come before your word and we submit ourselves to it because you spoke through inspired authors so that your people would have good news at their possession, that they would have reminders of who you are and what you have done and what you will do and what you are doing right now. So this morning, for my sisters and brothers here, we pray that you would remind us, you would speak to us in in a special way, in whatever ways that we individually need. God, we believe that you're uh, powerful to do that. You know, each individual in this room, everyone who will eventually uh, come before this particular passage in our church family, and, and we do pray that through your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, we would encounter the one and only true God. So God, use me in whatever ways you please. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the book of Revelation, I don't know how many of you have read the whole thing. It's pretty intimidating because there's a lot of different things happening. So I want to provide a little bit of context. Uh, this book is what the Apostle John records while he is exiled and imprisoned on the island of Patmos. He is given this vision of Jesus coming back again, and it's very full of symbolism. And this vision is meant to be much more than what the future will be like. In Revelation 19, John witnesses a celebration, but this celebration happens before the final victory. Satan will not be uh, taken care of until chapter 20, but heaven is celebrating in chapter 19 in advance of that moment. This advanced celebration would uh, have spoken powerfully to to John and the believers at, uh, at his time because believers were witnessing this increasing false teaching uh, in, in their midst. They were also seeing 
um, increasing persecution from the Roman Empire, and they were all also witnessing compromising of their faith within their ranks, within their churches. They were living in a world that seemed to have long forgotten and moved on from Jesus, and this was only 50, 60 years after his death, resurrection, and ascension. And Jesus' second coming, which was promised, felt like it was so far away, like it was unlikely to happen given their situation. But this vision received by John would have been a great source of encouragement and affirmation. So this morning, we want to consider what it looks like to celebrate in the in-between. That's the, the phrase I want to use this morning. What it means for us to celebrate before the final victory has taken place. For believers in John's time, they were stuck in the in-between. Jesus had, had departed, and they were waiting for him to come back. And for us, we are also living in the in-between. So many things we have witnessed, especially in the past few years, seem to point to the absence of God, to the silence of God. Some of us are wrestling with extremely difficult and painful things in our lives. But this morning, we want to consider what is ahead for those of us in Christ and how that affects us in the present. So this morning, because Jesus is coming again, we can celebrate in the in-between. Revelation 19 shows us that it is possible and it is appropriate for God's people to celebrate in the in-between because God will be our vindication. That's what Revelation 19 shows us. God will be our vindication. And I believe there are two ways that we see that in our passage. God will be our vindication. The first way is that our faith will be confirmed and verified. Specifically, God will prove our faith in him to be true. God will prove our faith in him to be true. When Jesus returns, there will be no question as to whether God is worthy of our trust, obedience, and our our devotion. Everything in the Bible will be proven 1,000% to be true, and what we know partially about God right now will become fully clear when Jesus comes again. Uh, This past week, uh, National Geographic announced a new TV show on its network called Extraordinary Birder. Uh, This show will be hosted by Christian Cooper, who has been an avid bird watcher since the age of 10. Uh, I don't know if you remember that name, Christian Cooper. I know that's his side profile, but you might remember who he is because he was the black man accused of threatening, threatening a white woman in Central Park in New York City back in May 2020 simply because of the color of his skin. When he was accused, Christian was birdwatching in Central Park. So for me, seeing Christian being known and highlighted for who he is and what he loves to do, rather than what happened to him wrongfully, seems like a meaningful, although not perfect, a meaningful experience of vindication. In a far, far greater way, we see something Similar happening in verses 1 and 2 of our passage, uh, which reads, After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. This great multitude is the same heavenly congregation of believers from every tribe, nation, and tongue back in Revelation chapter 7, and they are declaring truths about who God is and what he does. Specifically, that salvation and glory and power belong to God because his 
judgments are true and just. They are singing a song that has been sung many, many times previously, not just in the book of Revelation, but in the Psalms and and throughout the history of God's people. But in Revelation 19, they are singing it with a sense of finality. They are declaring that it is absolutely true that salvation and power, power and glory belong to our God because his judgments are true and just. As we live in the in-between, our worship, whether through it's a song um, or through our lifestyle, whether it's on a Sunday morning or any other day of the week, our worship can feel conflicted as we try to cling to truths and promises about God that seem to be difficult to, to hold on to in certain seasons of our lives. I don't know about you, but with what I experience in different seasons of my life and what I see happening in our world, there are definitely moments when I can't help but question even God's existence at times, uh, his power, his goodness, and love. Here in Revelation, John gets this sneak peek. The curtains get rolled back a little bit. He gets this backstage pass to Jesus' second coming, and he sees all of God's people, all believers of all time from all people groups, literally shouting, Hallelujah, which means praise the Lord for being exactly who he says he is and for doing exactly what he promised to do. We can celebrate in the in-between because our faith in God will be proven to be absolutely true, completely true. Our trust and obedience to Jesus will be vindicated when Jesus returns because God will make it supremely clear, crystal clear, that he is exactly who he says he is and he does all that he promises to do. On that day when Jesus comes back, every song that we've sung to God, every prayer we've lifted to him, every act of obedience and trust to him that you and I have earnestly wondered if God sees or notices, God will prove on that day that he saw all of it. He heard, heard all of those things, and he received them. God will prove that all of those things will be completely worth it, all that we're going through right now in trying to walk with, walk with Jesus, trust God, and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. As we live in this present broken reality, we have to see that there is a more permanent, more powerful, more liberating reality that is only drawing closer and closer. We can celebrate in the in-between because vindication of our faith in God is coming. That's the first way uh, God will be our vindication. The second way we see God be our vindication in our passage is that he will exercise his perfect justice. He will exercise his perfect justice. God will deal with all our experiences with evil in this life. God's vindication points to his making right of everything that we've experienced, we've experienced and will experience that is evil and unjust. In verses 2 and 3, we read that God has condemned the great prostitute who, has, who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants, And again, they shouted, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. What the heck is going on here? In Revelation chapter 17 to 19, this great prostitute is named. This great prostitute is named as Babylon and is described as being carried by the the beast, 
supported by, by, by the beast. And in Revelation, the beast repre- represents the violence of the devil, the violence of Satan. So this prostitute is doing great damage to, to God's people. In the Old Testament, Babylon symbolized the oppression of God's people. So in Revelation, the reference to Babylon is actually not the, the, the city of John's time, but this reference, this reference is a figurative city. It's a figurative empire representing the powers, the systems, the structures that violently oppose God and an empire guilty of the suffering and death of his people. So for John, Babylon is an allegory for the Roman Empire at the time, which was this superpower that felt invincible. It felt like it was going to go on forever and ever, to the point that Rome was called the eternal city. Rome was just growing and growing in its power, but it was also growing in its persecution of the believers of Jesus Christ. There are things in uh, our world that feel like powers, structures, and systems, and even cultural things that feel impossible to overcome. I know that I have felt that often. And within the past two weeks, not even two weeks, but 11 days, we have seen three shootings in Dallas, Texas, Buffalo, New York, and Laguna Woods, California, they have been heavy because they have all been motivated by racism, which is absolutely evil and detestable in God's eyes. We are also witnessing in this country the use of critical race theory as a scapegoat in order to advance the political agendas and preserve power, particularly of so-called Christians. White supremacy, Christian nationalism, and gun violence are functionally going unaddressed while innocent lives continue to be lost. Hurt people continue to be traumatized. These things have all felt like Babylons to me. And if the past few weeks have led to grief and heartache for any of you, as they have been for me, please know that you are seen and you are not alone. In verse 2, we see that this great prostitute will be condemned. And God will avenge the violence that his people have experienced. In verse 3, we see this, this phrase, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. It's this idea of a destroyed city. It's, it's burning and it will not ever stop burning. There is no question that this Babylon will be a threat ever, ever again. What struck me um, the most about verses 2 and 3 is actually a, a similarity with a passage earlier in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, John sees those who were martyred for their faith, and they're asking, they're asking God, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And Revelation 19.2 is the answer to that question. Right before the final victory, 
God's people are declaring, He has avenged on her the blood of His servants. It's a, it's a weird thought, but there will be a day when we will celebrate rightfully the judgment of God against all that has made following Jesus difficult. Everything that has wronged us in God's eyes, all that tempts us to compromise our faith. And because that day, when God's, God will vindicate his people, because that day is coming, and coming soon, we, we must pray that, we can celebrate today. God promises it. The heavenly chorus declares it, even right now. We can celebrate today. Nancy Guthrie, who is a very prolific teacher of the Bible, she writes this, Those who are called and faithful in Revelation 19 recognize that God is answering their prayers. His kingdom is coming. His will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. They are rejoicing, but they are not gloating. They are rejoicing that evil will not have the final word in this world. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel message we need today. We can celebrate in the in-between because God's vindication means that one day evil will be no more. When Jesus comes back, everything that makes it difficult to see and experience and draw close to God will be removed. Every Babylon Every oppressor, every broken system, every evil power and movement, every injustice, every abuse, and every temptation to forsake our faith will be taken care of without a shadow of a doubt, and God will settle every score. We can rejoice that every evil that appears too big and too powerful to overcome, too established to change in the present, will be judged by God decisively and with finality in the future. God will vindicate all our experiences with evil in this life, which is plenty of reason to celebrate as much as it is complex to celebrate. It's plenty of reason to celebrate right now. In looking at Revelation 19, we, we join the Apostle John in getting this sneak peek into Jesus' second coming. When Jesus comes again, we are promised that God will vindicate us by proving that our faith is absolutely true, and by also dealing with the experiences of evil in this life. When we consider these promises being sealed with Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, we can certainly celebrate in the present. We can celebrate in, in the in-between of this world as we know it right now, but also the world when Jesus returns. Uh, I've been listening to um, gospel music. Like, y'all need to listen to more gospel music. We need to sing more gospel music at Cornerstone, to be honest. Uh, and um, Cece Winans is a very, very well-known uh, gospel singer. She's won, like, 15 Grammys. And her most recent Grammy was for the song Never Lost. And she has this line that I can't find in any other version of this song. A, a bunch of artists have performed it. But this line... Don't have to wait till the battle's over. I can shout now. Don't have to wait till the battle's over. I can shout now. Y'all don't want me to sing it, but like when I read that, it makes me want to sing it. It makes me want to dance awkwardly as I do. Don't have to wait till the battle's over. I can shout right now. 
That does not mean that celebrating in the in-between is easy. Celebrating in the midst of anger, confusion, and sorrow is not easy. Embracing the complexity and the messiness of living in this world while also knowing that this world isn't the final reality is not easy. Celebrating in the in-between is a tremendous act of faith. This is why we need to actually learn to do this as a community, as a church family. In verses 4 and 5, this great multitude is joined by other voices. In verses 4 and 5, heavenly beings are joining the praise of this great multitude of believers. And in verse 5, there is this mysterious voice. Bible scholars are actually very torn about whose voice this is. But more important than whose voice it is, it's the words and the message that, that really spoke to me deeply. Praise our God, all you, his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Initially, when I read those words, it just felt like a command, right, from up above. Praise our God. But when I kept reading these words over and over, I felt like God was saying to me that this is not a command, it's an invitation. It's an encouragement. If I could paraphrase what I was experiencing from verse 5, it would be, the, the time to praise God is right now. The final victory is definitely coming. You don't see it yet, but celebrate now as an act of faith. In verse 6, John then, all of a sudden, he hears what sounded like a great multitude. Sorry, Johnny, I'm about to skip this slide. John hears what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. The phrases, the, the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder are also used in the book of Revelation, when John hears Jesus himself, the heavenly beings, as well as the redeemed and purified people of God. What does that mean? It means that every time we celebrate in the present, we are joining with every single voice in the book of Revelation. Whenever we praise God in the in-between, we sound a little bit like the saints in heaven. We sound a little bit like the heavenly creatures and more astonishingly, we sound a little bit like Jesus. Any celebration of God in this life is only a glimpse of the greater, complete celebration when Jesus returns. But at the same time, every celebration of God in this life is an act of subversion. It's an act of resistance, declaring that the world as we see it today is not the final reality. It's not Every time we celebrate, we say no to the empires and idols of our time, and we say yes to the one and only true God. And more than ever, we need to grow in celebrating well as the family of God. If God has moved in your life, would you consider creating a culture of celebration at Cornerstone? Celebrate through the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. Sing loud, please. We need to encourage one another. Celebrate by being less restrained in your expressions of, of love and joy for God. Celebrate through sharing how you've experienced God's kindness to, to one another, to the people around you. And it doesn't matter how long you've known them. Just share those stories. We need to learn how to celebrate well. 
Celebrate finding meaningful ways to encourage others, even on Sunday mornings. And maybe more importantly, celebrate earnestly by being open and vulnerable when you're wrestling with the harsh realities of life. But you're also trying to cling to the great promises of Scripture. You know we will experience when Jesus comes back. There is no command in Scripture that tells us to put on a brave face. There's no command in Scripture that tells us to fake celebration. God's Word is full of honest, very honest laments over the brokenness of living in this world. But so many of those laments lead into this expression of resilient desire to trust and obey God in praise for who he is and what he will do. When we grow as a church family and celebrating in the in-between, we become a church that is full of people who come and see for ourselves who God is and what he has done, the great works of God for mankind. And as we do that, we will also become a church that invites others who don't know Jesus yet to come and see what God can do for them and what God can do for their lives and for the world as we see it. Revelation tells us that God will vindicate his people completely. God is at work even right now. And one day he will prove absolutely to be worthy of all our worship, our trust, our obedience, and our devotion. And as we anticipate that day when Jesus returns, let's grow in celebrating who God is, what he has done, what he will do in ways, in ways that bring about greater joy, peace, love, and hope for us, but also for the world. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and for being in a city that is very future-oriented in terms of figuring out career and, and life decisions and all that, we want to admit that we're not future-oriented enough when it comes to walking with you. God, we come before Revelation 19 and passages like that and ask that you in your mercy and compassion, you would encourage those who need to be encouraged, comfort those who need to be comforted, heal those who've been wounded, wake up those who have been asleep. There is a greater reality at work. The world that we see with our eyes and hear with our ears is not the final word. So we come before you and we want to celebrate over the right things. Teach us, God, to celebrate more and more and more over who you are, what you have done and what you're doing and what you will do in the future. Teach us how to celebrate in the in-between. Teach us how to celebrate in advance of what will happen in the future. And help us to do that as, as fellow children, as fellow disciples, as spiritual siblings, who will not get it perfectly, but we pray that we'll be persistent in doing so. 
God, I pray in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit that there will be more freedom to celebrate at our church. And that celebration will be contagious. It would draw attention to who you are and that more people will come to know Jesus in salvation. So Lord, may Cornerstone be a church full of individuals who come and see what the Lord has done. And may Cornerstone be a church that is full of inviters, hosts who are inviting others to come and see what, what the Lord has done. We depend on you, Lord. Minister to my sisters and brothers, even beyond this time, even beyond walking out of these doors in a couple of minutes. But through the songs that we'll sing, through the fellowship that we'll have, help us to celebrate in the in-between. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.